Welcome to the Let's Talk About Care podcast. From carehome.co.uk and homecare.co.uk, the leading reviews websites for care homes and home care. Hello, I'm Angeline Albert. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About Care. Dawn Bunter is the Registered Manager at Iceni House Residential Home in Swatham, Norfolk. It cares for 75 residents and has 89 staff. Dawn started her job just a few weeks before England had its first lockdown in March 2020 and the care home had to shut its doors to the public. When an outbreak of Covid hit the care home, nine of her residents died. The strain of trying to keep residents safe led her to question her efforts and even write out her resignation letter three times in the last year. Here Dawn talks candidly about the pressures of being a care home manager and the struggle she had with her own mental health. Hello Dawn, thank you for coming as a guest on the podcast. Hello and thank you very much for having me. Now you started over 25 years ago working in the care sector. Yes, I started working as a trainee care assistant and I started in 1996 in a nursing home in my hometown of Great Yarmouth. I then progressed and worked in residential homes and spent some time within the NHS, within the local hospital, mainly working with elderly who um, had sustained fractured hips or fractured knees. And I got a bit fed up with the NHS, so went back to social care and developed a career in management. Right, so you you joined Iceni House just a few weeks as a care home manager before England's national lockdown. The director of the home had been looking at trends where he has other care homes across the country and was concerned about the rates of COVID. And he actually asked us to lock lock down, I think, in my third week. I think as well, when, when you've got somebody calling and saying, look, you need to, you, I want the doors closed, you, we need to ring all the families. Um, I think it was absolute utter fear because then you realise this was actually quite serious. There was a lot of families that I hadn't even met yet, haven't only been employed for a few weeks. So they had kind of, the families had this random person who they had, some had never met before ringing them up saying, I'm the new manager and by the way, we're closing the home so you can't visit at the moment. At that time, can you tell me about the kind of pressures that you faced as a manager? It was more about me ensuring that everybody was safe. So there was the pressure of, not really understanding what was going on, not really understanding what COVID was, if I was honest, because we had all seen it on the news and we had all heard about the Wuhan infection and things like that. But I think to to me, it happened really, really quickly. And the pressure at the beginning was more about ensuring that the doors were shut, ensuring that everybody was safe. This was literally a bubble I was in where I had staff I hardly knew, residents I hardly knew, relatives I did not know, and all of a sudden this great big cloud kind of comes over and you're having to enable a lot of information sharing when you didn't have a lot of information yourself. We were the first care home in the area to close our doors. It was quite frightening. We then had a gentleman go into the local hospital and he was one of our residents and we had paramedics that had come in at the time and had said, okay, we're going to call his wife because this coronavirus is within the local hospital and we need to know what she wants us to do. 
I felt horrendous at the time for this family member because what a decision. This poor relative gets this phone call from a paramedic that says, okay, so do you want us to try and treat him here and he will probably be quite poorly? This poor lady had to make the decision and in the end decided that she wanted her relative to go into hospital. He did return to us two weeks later, but he returned to us with COVID-19 and we weren't informed. So we had no idea. So we were kind of walking around blind at the time, not knowing who had it. So you feared everybody did. It was that paranoia where you walked around and a resident would cough or a resident would feel hot to touch or clammy or a resident would display other symptoms, but you immediately associated it with COVID-19. This gentleman went back into hospital and tested positive and that at the time, the only place we could get residents tested was if they were admitted to hospital. Throughout that probably two weeks, we were consistently calling ambulances. So we had called paramedics one morning for one gentleman and he was admitted with suspected COVID-19. They took him to hospital and then we had to call again about somebody else. And they literally walked through the door and said, you have just called us. Like, yeah, we know. We're sorry. And we're sorry it's the same crew coming back but this is this is really stressful and we don't know who has it we were going around taking temperatures every hour and no some people would be perfectly fine at nine o'clock in the morning but by three o'clock they couldn't breathe and their lips had turned blue what kind of thoughts were going through your head yeah i blamed myself when you're, I was sitting, I remember I was sitting beside a bed of one lady and she couldn't really breathe properly. And the doctor had said over the telephone two days prior, she's got a chest infection. Let's give her some antibiotics. And I said, but you know, we've got an outbreak here. This isn't looking good. We were receiving reports consistently that the home, the, the local hospital was at complete capacity. Um, ambulances were waiting outside to take people in. And I, I remember sitting on the side of the bed and holding this lady's hand while we waited for paramedics to attend, thinking that I was not doing my job properly. I wasn't keeping people safe, that this lady was probably going to be really poorly because of me. And I kind of took it all upon myself because people were brought back to us positive for COVID without being told it was put, we were pushed with discharges so we were having to fight with hospitals when they wanted to send people back and I was making some really really big decisions on behalf of people that I hardly knew I was liaising with relatives that had never met me before I was trying to keep staff updated the continuing changing of guidance at 8 p.m on a Friday night I would be petrified that I hadn't handed over the correct information so I think for a total of about nine weeks I worked seven days a week I wanted to make sure that everybody was okay all the time because I was so frightened that this was my fault and what kind of impact did this have on you it was huge I couldn't function I would li- I was literally on autopilot and I kind of went after after the residents deaths I think I kind of went a little bit on autopilot I became quite emotionless because I just I was so incensed on making sure it didn't come back that I would panic I would have panic attacks I couldn't breathe I would go home and I would worry I would go home and worry to the point where I'd then get back in the car and come back in at the time of when we started testing in one sense it was an amazing thing for the home to get testing 
But as those results started coming through at two, three o'clock in the morning on a Thursday night, I would sit there and think, oh my goodness, what if any of the night staff have tested positive? I need to check now. As well as pure exhaustion, I was mentally drained and it was nothing like I've ever felt before. It was You weren't sleeping at night? I mean, how no. many hours sleep do you think you got a night? Um, probably on average three to four hours. I would be checking in with staff. We created a WhatsApp group to communicate. I'd be continuously checking in. I would be checking my phone before I slept. If I woke in the night, I'd check my phone. And then you can't switch off. I called a doctor. What did the doctor say to you? Um, he offered me a six-week sick note and um, 30 diazepam. What did you think about that? I, I understand where they were coming from. He felt it was because I was tired, which is why I felt this way. I don't think he could or anybody at the time could kind of comprehend what it was that I or other care home managers were going through at the time. One minute, please test. The next minute, please don't test. Please wear masks. Please don't wear masks. Please wear full gowns. Please do this. Please close the home. Please ensure that nobody comes in. You had GPs not coming into care homes and everything was being done on video call. You had district nurses not being able to come in. So all of a sudden, we were having to Google how to dress somebody's legs. They became doctors, nurses, social workers, their family, everybody all at once. So that's why I get so frustrated when I hear that carers and care staff aren't skilled people because they have been the most skilled people in this pandemic. You were going through this period where you were having panic attacks, getting a few hours sleep a night. Did you ever feel like life wasn't worth living? Did you ever feel have suicidal thoughts? There were times when I would lay in bed and I would think, especially at the beginning when we had our outbreak and we didn't know who tested COVID, you were, I would lay in bed and think, this is all my fault. There's something I should have done and um, but I'm, a I'm, I'm a terrible person and I don't deserve to be in my job and I don't deserve to be here with my family because the families aren't together and the residents are poorly. And you'd see things on the news where funerals had taken place with nobody there and, and that would get you thinking and thinking, oh my God, oh, the resident's funeral. It created, not only created an anger, but also an animosity towards probably those that were trying to help me. So I became quite frustrated that people didn't understand. That was creating breakdowns in relationships. And or people who said, oh, don't worry, it's not your fault. And I would take that as a kind of rebuff and, oh, stop whinging, you know, stop moaning. It's not your fault. But it, I can honestly say it was the most horrendous time of my life. When I look back, I don't know how I survived. One of the people working at your care home at the time was a volunteer for the Samaritans answering helpline calls. Many people struggle in silence. Many people feel unable to talk to co-workers in particular about it. Did you find it hard to approach your care worker who was a volunteer for the Samaritans? And, and why do you think that was? Yeah, I did. And I think it's because people were looking to me for the information. People were looking to me to say, right, we can do this again. The staff, you know, would say, oh, yeah, no, it'll be all right because Dawn will let us know. And I think it was the whole feeling that if I even mentioned this to anybody at the time, would they feel like I was a flake? Would they feel like I was letting them down? I kind of went onto an autopilot of, right, pretend everything is fine, pretend everything is happy and sunny at work and keep smiling and keep going because... I couldn't show them that I felt exactly the same because I wanted to be the person that was 
G in the mark and saying we can get through this again um, and we can continue and yeah I think my struggle was very internal the only person I really discussed it with at the time was my husband he as supportive as he was and always has been he really struggled with understanding why I blamed myself so then internally then I wouldn't discuss it so much with him either I sought counsel and support I was able to open up and discuss it openly how long was it before you you had the counselling and the support? Um, I, I managed to get private counselling. I couldn't get counselling on the NHS, so I paid privately. I started the counselling in July. Okay, July 2020. Yeah. Do you feel that that helped you? How did it help you? It makes you reflect on what you're saying and your own mindset she needed a background and she needed to have an understanding as to what had happened and why I felt that way. So it was very holistic about my feelings and my anger because by July, August, I was angry. I was very, very angry. Care homes had once again been blamed by the prime minister all over the national news. Families were starting to become frustrated that they couldn't come into care homes there was a lot of backlash. So I started to become quite internally quite cross and quite angry. And she helped me present that in a different way. And she helped me think in a different mindset and think in a different way that wasn't completely against my own self. Great to hear that you, you did actually get the help. Many carehomes have introduced mental health first aiders. These work colleagues who essentially trained up with mental health skills Carolina Gerlich, the chief executive of Care Workers Charity, has uh, said that care home managers should not really be taking on the extra burden of being mental health no. first aiders themselves. You agree with her? I do. I think because I let my struggle become internal. And I think at the time we had care assistants or, or kitchen staff or domestic staff or anybody in the home that also had other problems. We had an amazing night senior care assistant who lost her daughter in the pandemic. We had another night care assistant who lost her mum, lost her mum through COVID. We had staff with their own struggles on top of coming in here for 12 hours a day, probably a bit more because they, they were amazing and didn't want to go home before they'd done this or done that. They were going home to their own families, to their own children. Having a mental health first aider is an amazing tool and we have one. We have also paid for the staff to have counselling. So using the counsellor that I had and the director has been paying for it every week and staff can dip in and dip out. It can be a group session. They can go on their own. It's about growth and them all having an understanding that we've all struggled and we can all have an understanding of each other. I felt like I had to internalise it and I, and I wouldn't want the staff to do that. How many staff do you have and how many do you think were feeling really burned out after the last year? So at the time we had 75 staff and I would say absolutely all of them. The housekeepers and the domestics had to take on completely different roles. One hour cleaning, two hour cleaning, coming in on night shifts, helping to clean areas, um, deep clean rooms. And the care staff were consistently busy. It was stressful. How many of your care workers decided to make the move into the care home to protect residents? We had five carers. One of our senior carers moved to not only protect our residents, but to protect her parents. 
what have you learned about yourself as a result of everything that's happened in the last year? I think I've learned I'm quite hard on myself and that I need to communicate more with the people around me because I'm the first one to say, I was the first one to say, come to me if you're worried, come to me if you want to talk about something, if you need an explanation, text me whenever, call me. I want you to feel supported, but wasn't reaching out for that support myself. People aren't automatically going to think it's a negative thing because I'm fearful as well. Um, And I learned a lot about the staff team in that respect also, because when we all start beginning to share things, life becomes so much easier. You've been in contact with other care home managers during the pandemic. You form friendships. That has obviously must have helped you. Yeah, I think when we opened the doors for visiting, that was a big challenge. And we started our own pilot in September, October. And I was receiving a lot of backlash on social media for saying to the families, come in and, and see your family member, hold their hand, give them a hug. You haven't seen them in months. And as, as you're looking through social media, you, you start to realise that yeah, there's other people that are doing this. And we kind of all got together in a group chat on Twitter and the support they gave me was amazing because by that time we were allowing visitors in and we wanted people to come in and we wanted families reunited and we had some amazing reunions. That was really emotional because I kind of felt like I'd been a gatekeeper for months. And to hear other care home managers had gone through the same thing and wanted the same outcomes that was huge for me we developed this friendship developed it into a group chat which we then developed into the caring view and it's kind of gone from strength to strength yes the caring view chat show which uh, you yeah. host with donna pierpoint and adam Pennell and also uh, mark tops this this show every tuesday evening at 7 30 p.m those that support network in a sense that you had from the care managers all working together during that time when the guidance was coming out um, and changing regularly from government you decided not to follow the guidance this was a very brave thing to do when, when as you said you faced a great backlash I think it was we had one of those awful partitions up in our reception and I watched a husband and wife celebrate their wedding anniversary through Perspex and I drove home and I could feel myself getting into getting into that slump again where I was starting to blame myself that they couldn't kiss and hug on their wedding anniversary. By the time I had done my 40 minute journey home I was thinking she didn't get to hug her husband and I walked in the house and I hugged mine. I thought why I haven't had to ask permission to do this well of course yeah we're testing staff we're treating staff as individuals and trusting that they are going they are leaving their home and being responsible why can't we trust our relatives and we ask them to come in for weekly PCR we now have limited restriction we have more than five nominated visitors (laughs) And, uh, and I, I, I'm sure that the family members love you for it. On June the 1st, we're opening the doors. We're not having appointments anymore, as long as our relatives can prove a negative test. Do you think visitors is the wrong word to use for family members? Yes. We've got to change it because they're family. And I think very pro the reform and making changes to language and to the way we treat our residents. It's that 
are we going to allow our residents a visitor? Are we going to allow one of our residents to go to the shop? It's not a case of anybody allowing them to do anything. So I think there needs to be massive language changes in the way that we speak and interpret things surrounding care home residents. We are to ensure that meaningful contact takes place. It's all over the guidance now, actually, that care home managers should feel empowered to make their own decision. We can't, we're not prisons. We can't keep people locked up. We're not the gatekeepers to people's family. We need to ensure that this meaningful contact continues. We had residents that had lost weight. We had another lady that would put herself on the floor because she'd think if, she, if we called an ambulance and she was taken to hospital, the visiting times were still being adhered to. So her son would be able to come every single day. And I understand that everybody's, it's all about safety and we need to keep everybody safe. But we've also got to think about the safety of people's emotional well-being as well. These people have really, these residents have really, really, really felt the pandemic. Have you seen the, the spirits of the, your residents lifted in, in the last few months? Yeah, I've, I can honestly say we are a happy place. People know the re relatives are coming back. I think there was a period of time where everybody wondered where everybody had gone and we'd have our residents, some diagnosed with dementia, say, so-and-so's moved. They must have moved and left me here because they wouldn't just leave me. And we don't see that kind of anxiety anymore. Do you think that COVID vaccination should be mandatory for all care staff unless they have a medical exemption? No, I don't think that, I don't think that care staff should be forced to have a vaccine that they don't want to have. We have a really good uptake here at Iceni House. We have 98% of our care staff vaccinated. The other 2% are actually waiting for their second vaccines. We've not had anybody, not a single member of staff, turn down the vaccine. I personally feel that it shouldn't be an obligation of employment. I am very pro-vaccine. We have had dis group discussions in relation to vaccination. I think people need support and understanding surrounding their needs and surrounding why they wouldn't want to have a vaccine. Some of our relatives haven't had a vaccine, but that wouldn't stop me from saying, please come in and see mum and give her a hug. I know they've tested negative that very day. I'm aware, as well as a PCR, they've also had a lateral flow. Due to Brexit, every EU national living in the UK must apply for settled or pre-settled status before the deadline of 30th of June, or they're going to lose the right to live and work in the country. Now, um, obviously, this includes care home residents, people cared for at home, care workers. What are your thoughts on this issue and what action are you taking to respond to this potential deportation threat? I think we're offering, we're offering the staff who have received this action status a lot of support we're also offering them support um, in relation to legal fees and things like that should they require them I think due to I understand that it's due to Brexit but at the same time these are actual people in their lives it shouldn't be down to a single piece of paper because of Brexit and I find it frustrating and stressful let alone how these people must feel the staff that we have here that have, have been embroiled within this action are really stressed out and are really fearful and are really worried i think as once again to me this all comes down to little bits of paper that we'll push around an office and that we'll stamp and we'll say yeah yeah that's fine but at the end of the day the stress that it causes care home staff were deemed some of the uns most unskilled people in the country all of a sudden 
this pandemic has shone a light on some of these amazing people. And I think that there needs to be a massive reflection upon social care. I personally feel there needs to be a professional status for care workers in this country. I think the other one is ensuring that care homes are opening the doors. You hear a lot in the media from families and from campaign groups where relatives are getting 15 minutes once a week, once a fortnight, half an hour. I think it's a disgrace. Video of somebody still holding uh, her mum's hand through a window. We're way over a year in. This has got to stop and care homes need to look at the guidance and interpret the guidance in a completely different way, in a completely different manner. What advice uh, do you have for people working in care who have struggled as a result of everything that's happened, the pressures, people in the care sector who have struggled and have continued to struggle with mental health issues? Talk to people to make sure that you're communicating well. Don't be afraid to call people like the Samaritans. Don't feel scared to share your feelings. Don't internalise things like I did. Dawn, thank you for being so frank and honest about your personal experiences. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Too many people have lost their lives because of COVID, but many have taken their own lives because of the pressures of living through a pandemic. Care home owner Vernon Hoch killed himself last year because of the emotional pressure of trying to keep residents safe. He was found at 9.45pm on the 21st of May 2020. He died of a single self-inflicted gunshot wound. He had operated Grasted Hall Nursing Home in Wrexham with his wife Helen. She said at his inquest that her husband wasn't afraid of catching Covid but was afraid of spreading it because residents and care staff were not being tested. The coroner recorded a verdict of suicide and said the pressure of working through the pandemic had overwhelmed him and had affected his mental health. Carolina Gerlich, the chief executive of the Care Workers Charity, is urging anyone in the care sector who feels they are struggling with their mental health to contact the charity to get the support they need. Up to 10 hours of one-to-one therapy with a qualified specialist is available for free. Help is available from the charity for issues such as depression, anxiety, stress, addiction or PTSD. Miss Gerlich recently highlighted her concerns over the slow pace at which care workers have been accessing mental health support offered by the charity. You can apply for mental health support by visiting www.thecareworkerscharity.org.uk. The Samaritans recently extended its own helpline for frontline NHS and care workers in England after more than 20,000 care and NHS workers were found to have contacted the Samaritans since March 2020. The helpline for staff in England will stay open until at least September 2021, after the Department of Health and Social Care agreed to extend funding. The Samaritans' dedicated helpline for social care and NHS workers in England is 0800 069 6222. Anyone experiencing suicidal thoughts can contact the Samaritans free on their 24-hour helpline 116 123. Thanks for listening. The Let's Talk About Care podcast.